0: And actually, you touched on another important point, and that is when you try and do things like this yourself, you're going to either spend a lot of time or a lot of money. And if you're earning a lot of money and you spend a lot of time, you're still spending a lot of money. So (laughs) this is when you call the Peter Moriarty's of the world in and say, look, I want this done. And you've done it hundreds of times before. So you can make a proper sensible plan. You can bring your experience to bear. You can bring a lot of benchmarking to the situation, and you can make the transition happen a lot more smoothly.
1: Absolutely. Similar to your podcasting service, which is preventing someone from wasting hours and hours or maybe even days banging their head against the wall trying to learn something new. There's a little trick that you can do to work out your your effective hourly rate and what that hourly rate is. I'm going to share a secret weapon. How about that?
0: Yeah, go for it, man.
1: <laughs> I'm Matthew Kimberley from MatthewKimberley.com, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy at ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to ProductiveInsights.com.
0: Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Welcome guys. Today's guest is an expert in small business cloud computing and has been ranked one of Australia's top 10 entrepreneurs under 30 by Smart Company and Australian Ant Hill Publications. He started IT consulting at the age of 15 with a backpack and a push bike in rural Sydney. Since then he's pushed his passion for technology in growing IT Genius Australia into a full-service IT consultancy, servicing businesses up to 200 employees across Australia and beyond. IT Genius has worked with some leading companies and they've secured partnership with Google Australia to assist Australian businesses to collaborate more effectively with Google's suite of business productivity and collaboration tools. I'm delighted to welcome Peter Moriarty, the founder and managing director of itgenius.com. Welcome, Peter.
1: G'day, Ash. How are you going? Good to
0: see you. Good to see you too, man. Awesome to have you on the show. Peter, could you give us your take on cloud computing and why it is so important in business today and why our listeners should be listening very carefully to what you have to say?
1: oh sure well um it, it's interesting you know when when we started in i t as you said you know i was I was fifteen uh, and that wasn't that long ago <laughs> and i I saw my dad running a business actually, and he's a small business owner, he's a builder, carpenter builder, and he's been running that business for about twenty twenty five years and he's one of the baby boomer generation, and so he when he went through school, they had chalk and, and slate, you know, rather than computers and iPads and all those kind of things. And so his generation, you know, which the baby boomer generation owned most of the small businesses in Australia, didn't grow up with technology and kind of had to learn it. And so we really kind of started the business to help those business owners. You know, I wanted to help my dad and, and help people like him because I was naturally good at it being Gen Y and and growing up with this technology. And so that's that's kind of how we started, and, and you know, we started this traditional IT services business where we were fixing people's computers and maintaining their networks and their their servers, and all those kind of things. And it naturally morphed into an IT consultancy. And then, you know, about five years ago, cloud computing got really really popular and one of the things that has made that popular is things like uh, the internet speeds getting faster uh, we've now got in Australia the NBN is is coming along uh, in whatever shape or form everyone uh, you know will eventually get it yep. but these increased connectivity speeds reduced cost of cloud computing you know services like Amazon and Rackspace and Google compute available in data centers and developers building these amazing applications that run 100% what's called on the cloud but what really means it On the web, you know, so in a browser. So when you go to gmail.com or you load up, uh, you know, zero.com is another really popular cloud accounting platform. These applications are, are accessible most of the time on a subscription basis. So you just use what you need. But what's interesting about them is how they're changing how we interact with our devices. You know, no longer we're, we need to buy a big clunky server and stick it in the office. We're now able to truly embrace what's called utility computing, which is just accessing what we need when we need and getting access to best in breed software that requires very little maintenance and for the most part doesn't require an IT person to run.
0: The thing about this cloud-based software is that it can be very profitable if you can pull it off. I recently interviewed. Hit Tain Shah, who's the co-founder of Kissmetrics, and he's all about software as a service at the moment. And we talked specifically about software as a service, and he was just saying that there is so much going on in that space, if you can make it work, and if you can really solve a business problem, then you can be very, very successful, and you can really skyrocket a company's productivity and their effectiveness.
1: It's it's an amazingly scalable model. I mean, um, you know, when you talk about it from the from the vendor's perspective like that, um, you know, someone like Google, who have Google Apps for Business, um, which is, you know, one of their core applications, which we happen to be a partner for, they have over five million organizations using google apps wow. for work
0: five million
1: which which is phenomenally over five million organizations and you know that includes some really large organizations here in australia like woolworths fortescue metals group uh, people like dick smith they're using these applications and right down to really small businesses as well so one two five man band operations also using the same kind of software but interestingly for google even though they've got five million organizations using it and that's generating billion worth of revenue for Google a year, uh, that's still a very small fraction of their revenue. You know, their total revenue is about $60 billion. So Hmm. uh, yeah, the the software space is extremely uh, interesting at the moment.
0: So are they looking to really ratchet up the amount of revenue they're making from software as a service? And by the way, I wanted also to also mention that I did work at Woolies. I consulted to Woolworths towards the end of my consulting career, and I did use Google. And I remember the Google guys were there on the premises; they were setting it all up at the time. And <laughs> they really they did, yeah. And they they really did a lot of handholding, and they really embedded it very well into the business. So certainly did a great job there. But what's Google planning to do? Are they looking to make that two billion into a much bigger proportion of their sixty billion revenue?
1: Well, the interesting thing is that there's a small amount of fear with some people that are, well, can I trust Google's business services because, you know, are they going to change their mind in six months or 12 months and just shut this thing down and and go and chase other things? And the reality is, is that Google need to diversify. They've got this amazing revenue stream of search revenue, but they have people. People nipping at their heels, like Like Facebook. Facebook.
0: We said it at the same time, great minds think alike. (laughs)
1: Like Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest and everybody else who's running ad services now. And Google know that they need to diversify. They know that they've probably got another five years where they'll still be absolutely smashing it out of the ballpark. But in five years' time, they're really going to need to be building up their other revenue streams.
0: Well, Google's search function is starting to become less profitable now. I think their profit has started to drop for the first time because Facebook is a lot more targeted. I appreciate that when someone goes to do a search on Google, the intent is very much to find a solution as opposed to Facebook where you're just going to hang out. But Facebook is sort of compensating for that with their highly targeted options they're giving users. So I agree that Facebook is sort of eating into Google's search space a bit.
1: It's, oh, it's super interesting. What I find is the most interesting is Google have now changed their structure. Obviously, they're they're calling themselves Alphabet and that's the, the kind of umbrella company and Google search is just one part of that. And so they're building up different divisions. They've got auto, they've got their kind of Robotics and their and their X, X Labs. They've got home automation with their acquisition of Nest. Obviously, they've got some of the big ticket ones like YouTube, and and that's bringing out its own subscription service now with YouTube Red. And so their their cloud and their enterprise division, being their Google Compute, which is their cloud platform competitor to Amazon, and their Google Apps for Work, which is Gmail, Google Docs, Google Drive. They're businesses that Google wants to build. So they're not businesses that Google's going to shut down because they get a different idea. What Google cares about and what they've always cared about is, number one, the number of users that they can get onto their platform and and into their ecosystem because one user in Google's ecosystem is something that they can get across multiple ecosystems. Uh But from our conversations with Google, and we've got a really close relationship with them, including the guys over in Silicon Valley and and obviously their, their Sydney office as well, What they've told us is they're really, really interested in solving problems that every single person in the world can make use of. Wow. So what I mean by that is, is they're probably not gonna bring out a sales CRM and they're probably not gonna bring out email marketing software. But what they are interested in is email, giving email to the world. You know, Gmail has 960 million mailboxes. They're nearly at a billion uh, users on Gmail. Nest Home Automation, every, everybody has a home and needs that kind of technology in the home. Everybody needs transportation, which is why they've got the auto division. So Google are really, really looking for the big thing Things that can support everybody and business tools, even though technically business owners are a, are a subset of the world, it's not everybody. They do believe that business tools are, are a big bet that everybody needs.
0: So it sounds like they're really trying to embed themselves into people's lives and into businesses and effectively become like a utility.
1: Spot on, absolutely spot on. They only really want to solve the problems that everybody in the world has. And things like Gmail, you know, it's been around for probably 15 years now. You've got to remember that, that has to service customers who are in third world countries and emerging markets that might not have great internet connections or might not have the fastest devices. And so remember that everything that they're building has to be relevant to everybody in the world, not just uh, you know, Western society with a, with a fiber optic internet connection.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a great point. So that is going to be interesting, actually, right? Because they've also predicted that, what, in the next two to five years, that we're going to see a doubling of the number of people online. So at the moment, we've got like 2 billion, we're going to see 4 billion people online. A huge part of that is going to be the developing nations like India and China and so on. So it's going to be interesting how they're going to get the internet to these people. By the way, just as an aside, it was interesting to see Facebook kind of fall flat on its face a little bit with the basics they were offering in India and there's been a big backlash.
1: Yeah, I, I think the, the hoo-ha with that was because it was felt to be in Facebook's kind of walled garden because Facebook were providing it and it kind of goes against, you know, ideas of net neutrality yeah. and, you know, having open access to the internet. What I find really interesting is um, obviously there's a, there's a massive opportunity for, for marketers who are developing products to take those products into these emerging markets, specifically with regards to small businesses and productivity and growing and excelling in a small business. We know that the biggest thing that we can take advantage of in our society is the access to talent. And so outsourcing, while it has been around for a long time, is now super, super accessible. And so, you know, you can jump on freelancer.com or upwork.com and engage uh, contractors or even full-time employees from other markets and take advantage of arbitrage and different pay rates, but it requires a, a little secret ingredient. And that secret ingredient is, well, what's the technology that we use right. to, to actually take advantage of that? And you know, what's the technology that you use to get work done with somebody who's a remote team? Because if you think about a traditional IT model, it was buy a server, stick it in your office. And then when you want to do work from home, you'd dial into the VPN or you'd dial into remote desktop or you'd email stuff back and forward. But now in the days of Dropbox and Google Documents and all these new fantastic ways of working, it's really, really opening up us as business owners to have different ways of interacting with our teams.
0: Yeah, those collaboration tools are awesome. And I must say that I have worked out how to get good quality outsourcers through Upwork. And I have found that almost every outsourcer I've worked with tends to work with a PC and not a Mac. So that pretty much knocks out Apple-based collaborative tools, which I would prefer to use in a lot of situations. (laughs) So I end up using Google Docs and Google Sheets, and it really does work very well. I have to say that you can really update these things in real time. You can make a change, and the other person seeing it right there and then. So it's really pretty awesome. So this actually segues really nicely into the next discussion, which is about your definition of cloud computing. And we've already touched on that. We've talked about Google Docs. We've talked about Google Sheets. We've talked about essentially any of these utilities that increases collaboration and productivity of a company to meet its objectives of increasing its profitability and providing its services to its customers. It makes that process simpler, more seamless and easier, and it doesn't require the software to be sitting on the computer's hardware like it used to a few years ago. It's basically sitting in the cloud. Is there anything else that I've missed about the definition of cloud computing that you'd like to add to that?
1: Look, I, I think the big one is, is that you're removing, one of the big ones is you're removing points of risk. So previously, if you think about, you know, an IT system and what you would normally have to employ an IT person to manage, you might have internet connection and a router and a switch and a server. Uh, and each one of those points is a potential point of failure. Absolutely. With cloud computing, all of a sudden, a lot of those responsibilities for management and maintenance are managed at a massive, massive scale by experts—someone like Google or someone like Amazon—who have billions and billions of dollars to spend on fail safes and infrastructure and and people to run it. And your only interface with that technology is to pay for it and to receive the service. And so, reducing those points of failure—you uh, know, where previously if an internet connection went down at your office, that would be an absolute showstopper, yep. and, uh, and you know you might, you might have no emails for three days, your customers are right. getting bounce backs, they're wondering why you're not emailing them back.
0: We used to call this an operational risk. It's a real business risk. It can really cause a lot of damage, so I totally agree. When you don't, your systems go down, if the computers went down in the network, your, your business would just come to a grinding halt, but you're saying that doesn't happen as much anymore if the stuff is all provided in the cloud.
1: Yeah, well, when you've got somebody managing the infrastructure for you and they're managing infrastructure for billions of people, it's very unlikely that something's going to go wrong with it. I mean, in the five, six years that uh, we've been strongly recommending Google Apps to our small business customers, we've had only really one major outage in that time, uh, and and that was for 20 minutes. So 20 minutes was a major outage. And uh, interestingly, it happened at 3 a.m. Sydney time anyway, so uh, we didn't even notice. And so just getting access to a tool like that where you can say, "Okay, cool, big tick, I don't need to worry about email problems anymore. Big tick, I don't need to worry about getting access to my files ever anymore. As long as I've got an internet connection, then I'm, then I'm okay. And if the internet's down at the office, I can tether to my mobile, or I can go to an internet cafe, or I can jump in the car and go home, and I've always got access. And so cloud computing not only removes those points of risk or potential points of failure, but what it also provides is for you, the business owner... Freedom, and so to the listener who's thinking, well, you know, okay, well, what does freedom mean, Pete? Well, that might be, you know, getting a couple of extra hours in the afternoon to do the school run and pick up the kids from school, and then get some work done at home instead of being stuck to the office. Or it might mean taking a few extra holidays, and you know, maybe they're just short mini holidays, as, as Tim ferris talks about his little uh, mini breaks. Mm-hmm. But uh, but being able to be connected to your team and your business. From any location, from any device, and so the question is: Well, what would you do if you weren't constrained so much by time, and you weren't constrained by location? Where would you live? You know, what what would you do with that right. time? And one of our customers, he, his name's Michael. He owned a, uh, well, still owns a small media agency in Brisbane, and Michael decided that he wanted to have a, a family holiday in France, and he actually wanted to go and live in France for a year. Most small business owners—that's just a, not a reality at all. You know, he's got—he's got small kids, he's got a wife, he's got—you know—got a family. And we implemented Google Apps for their business, um, so he was able to not only get work done with his team, uh, but also with his customers remotely as well. Um, and you know, he uses an online VoIP-based phone system too, which allows him to dial out and have it look like he's dialing from a Queensland number. And, uh, he's literally, he's, I think he's nine months into his 12 months, uh, living wow. in France, which is just absolutely awesome. Still running his business, still profitable, still fantastic. And so we've actually just done a blog post on his story and, um, and put that up on our blog at itgenius.com because that's, that's the reality of the kind of freedom that you can create using the right technology in your business.
0: Well, please do send me a link to that blog post because I'd love to add it to the show notes. I think that'll be a great resource. It was unthinkable even 10 years ago for a lot of entrepreneurs to live outside of the United States. But there's a lot of these entrepreneurs that are living in various places in the Philippines or Chris Ducker is another one. And they have run very successful businesses remotely at a lower cost of living. So they've got the geo-arbitrage happening and they've got the income coming in for in, in US dollars. So it's a, it's a win-win.
1: Yeah. I love that idea of the uh, the geo-arbitrage and, you know, the, the Tim Ferriss four-hour workweek story of, of, you know, going and living in Thailand on, on your $1,000 passive income a month. I don't want to poo-poo anyone's dreams, but I know that uh, that's not quite the reality of, of what everyone is after. Mm-hmm. I know that for most people, if they had, you know, a bit more flexibility and and if their calendar synchronized to their phone properly and their emails synchronized properly, yeah. then if they could save just 30 to 40 minutes per day of productivity time, then that's going to either give you some more of your life back or give you a little bit extra time to do more high value tasks in your business. And so I think that should be the aim, you know, don't think that well, I have to I have to be retired on a beach somewhere to be successful in the business. If you've got a a healthy work life balance, and you're not feeling like a slave to the tech machine, then that's success to me how I define it.
0: I agree. That's such a great point because not everybody wants to move to Cebu to run their business. No. <laughs> and most people want to just live their lives as they're living it, but just a little bit more efficiently. So completely agree. Now that case study is shared about the guy in France was just really great. So thank you very much for sharing that. That really brings a lot of perspective and reality to how this can actually work in a person's favor if they are running a business and how it can help them with their lifestyle should they choose to make those changes. Okay, now let's talk about some of the biggest challenges that people face when it comes to cloud computing. One, which you mentioned earlier, was people often fear that the provider like Google may decide to change direction so they don't want to jump in headfirst. What are the other challenges you've noticed and how have you helped businesses overcome them?
1: Look, there's uh, there's two main ones. One is a kind of generic fear of, of the cloud and, and things being not on my local device. And so I'll, I'll address that. And, and the second one is a bit more specific with our customers when we're talking about moving to Google Apps and that's more of a, a change management one. So the first one is I'm scared of the cloud because I don't know where my data is yep. or I'm scared of the cloud because what if someone hacks the cloud?
0: I'll tell you one more thing I'm scared of, Peter. I'm scared of the cloud because I'm not sure who really owns the data. I know it's my data, ah. <laughs> but it's sitting on Google servers or Apple servers. So who owns it? And they're the custodian of my data. I'm not. So yeah, that's
1: a um, very, very valid question. So um, there's a few things to address there. First one is Google cares a lot about keeping your data protected because because their reputation is tied to how well they can sure. protect your data. Now, this is contrary to common misconceptions. They don't have any, and this is with their business accounts, they don't have any claim to your intellectual property. They don't have any claim to ownership. And they've been independently audited by the European Union and a number of other you know, security practices and protocols to say that they, they do not have any claim of ownership of your IP or your data. And to be honest, Google don't give a crap about your p and sitting in Google Sheets. They, right. they actually, they, they don't care about that on an individual level. Yeah. What they care about is our behaviors on a whole on, on how we're using the product, but very specifically, and they've been independently audited on this as well, Google do not use your data in any way for advertising, as long as you're on a business account. So as long as you're using one of their business services, they do not use your data for advertising. Okay. Um,
0: just to your earlier point, I just wanted to say that probably explains why Apple is fighting the FBI so aggressively at the moment and not wanting to release the backdoor to their software because it effectively compromises their integrity as a company, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and they have very specifically designed their software so they can't even see in to what you're doing, even if they wanted to, by encrypting it. And Google does the same thing. If you've got a problem with a Google document and, uh, and, you know, it's corrupted or something like that, you've actually got to share that document with Google support before Google support can even see into the document. So they right. can't just hit a switch and jump into the back end of your account. It's all encrypted and locked away. The other kind of scary thing for some people is, well, you know, if my data isn't, within my control on my USB stick or on my hard drive on my computer, then uh, then, it's, then it's just not safe. You know, I, I don't have control of it. Therefore, I don't feel like it's safe. And my counter to that is that Google, uh, you know, storing your data on a, on a secure cloud-based service is much more secure than having it saved on your local machine because, you know, I can probably guess that your computer password is, your dog's name and then one, two, three, or, or, you know, or your, your kids' birthdays or something like that. Pretty easy to crack, especially if someone has physical access to your machine. Whereas services with Google have free upgraded security options. For example, two factor authentication. Yep. So, uh, I've got my, uh, my phone here sitting on my desk. Let me just grab it. And so when I sign into my Google account on a new device that Google hasn't seen before, it'll send me a text message with a little six digit code and I'm, I have to enter that. Six-digit code before I'm able to get access to my account.
0: I use that too.
1: Oh, it's it's absolutely brilliant. So yeah. that means that if I would if I were to tweet my Gmail use my Google Apps username and password for my business account no, but I'm not going to do it because, you know, not a good idea. I'll I'll, I'll have someone try and get in through social engineering. But if I were to release those details, no one would be able to effectively get in without having my mobile phone there. So that keeps you really secure. And so, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on security. But the, the second big question that we get around why kind of cloud computing is scary is, is the change management. And so we move businesses from Primarily from Microsoft technology and some Apple users as well, over to Google Apps, and mm-hmm. what that typically involves is us helping somebody move from a Outlook or a Mac Mail interface into using Gmail, and that's a big scary move for a lot of people. And we've we've helped hundreds and hundreds of businesses onto Google Apps for work. You know, we're up to over 350 implementations we've completed now. Google tell us we're one of their top partners, which is awesome.
0: Cool. Well done.
1: So yeah, which is which is great. Um, what that means is we're helping over you know, thousands of, of employees of these businesses that we were moving across to Google. We're asking them to make a pretty big shift. If they've used Outlook for five or 10 years and we're asking them to go ahead and use Gmail online that's going to be a big shift for them. So that that's the second biggest challenge that we uh, come up against. And our the way that we help business owners and their teams make that transition is we show off all of the best features of Gmail. Gmail's got some amazingly powerful features that you can use for your business and, um, one common misconception is, well, am I going to have to have a gmail address to use my business emails? You know, Peter.moriarty underscore six, you know, sixty-nine sexy honey one two three, right? <laughs> at, g- at gmail.com. Well, no, you're not gonna you're not gonna need to use that. You know, I can use my business address, peter at itgenius.com, right. on the Gmail interface. Um, you know, that's what you pay Google for for the business plan. And so we find that, you know, with learning anything new, once you've been shown the way then you're more likely to adopt that change. But for us, a big one is we're showing how someone can be more productive using Google's tools, why it's a good idea to consider a change with the applications that you're using. And once someone's been shown the way, we find that they're going to be on board with the rest of the Google transition.
0: And actually, you touched on another important point, and that is when you try and do things like this yourself, you're going to either spend a lot of time or a lot of money And if you're earning a lot of money and you spend a lot of time, you're still spending a lot of money. So (laughs) this is when you call the Peter Moriarty's of the world in and say, look, I want this done. And you've done it hundreds of times before. So you can make a proper sensible plan. You can bring your experience to bear. You can bring a lot of benchmarking to the situation and you can make the transition happen a lot more smoothly.
1: Absolutely. Similar to your podcasting service, which is preventing someone from wasting hours and hours or maybe even days banging their head against the wall trying to learn something new there's a little trick that you can do to work out your effective hourly rate and what that hourly rate is and what i like to help people to do is to take the revenue target that you've got for the year so i um, think about your revenue target in total gross sales so your total number of sales total revenue target and then divide that by 2080 so 2080, which is kind of cool because it's like the eighty twenty rule backwards.
0: Oh, but yeah, that two, is cool.
1: 2080 is 52 times 40, which is 52 weeks times 40 hours a week. And these are obviously rough rough calculations. And if you divide that revenue target by 2080, you'll get what your effective hourly rate is. So if you're running and leading a business, that is your new hourly rate. And for, for most business owners, they, they look at that and they go, oh, my God. I don't charge anywhere near that much per hour. And that's exactly the point. Yes. You're probably doing tasks right now that are below what your effective hourly rate should be. Um, And so my recommendation is that Something like implementing a new technology tool, whether it's Google, whether it's setting up a podcast, whether it's getting your website built, you're probably not going to do it yourself. Bring in the expert. When
0: you do estimate how long it's going to take it to implement the Google technology into your business, you need to make that estimate and then triple it because we typically (laughs) tend to massively underestimate the dollars for the job and also the timeframes, which is another good reason to bring an expert in, right?
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Okay, cool. We've talked about the common challenges. You've given us an excellent case study. Thank you for that. Let's talk a bit about actions that a listener can take right now to make themselves more comfortable with cloud computing and open themselves to moving towards cloud computing, because let's face it, we're all heading in that direction. How does someone get their business into a situation or at least get their mind into a situation where they're ready to talk to Peter Moriarty or someone like Peter Moriarty?
1: Yeah, well look, I've got three actions. Typically the kind of people that we work with is either number one is an established business that's been going for probably five years or more. You've reached some point of success, you've got five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty employees, but you're doing IT the old way. You've got a server or you've got lots of Microsoft technology, or you've got some kind of applications that aren't quite serving you, and you'll, you you know there's a better way out there, and you've heard the promise of the cloud, but you just need your hand held in, in making that change. The other person is someone who's got more of a, an early stage business where maybe you've, you've been going less than five years, and things have just naturally grown, and you've found some success, which is awesome, but things are just a mess, because you, you've never really had any clear IT strategy. In both of those scenarios, we've got three pretty distinct actions that we'd like you to take. Number one is to to start asking questions yeah. and start educating yourself so ask questions of the vendors that you're listening to ask questions of the uh, consultants that you have engaged currently ask questions of anyone who's giving you advice or, or any of the practices that you're currently doing just question yourself and, and question what you're doing and see if well it, you know is this is this really serving me in the best way and we've got one of the ways that you can start to ask those questions and start to learn about well what's out there is hitting up our YouTube channel and so a YouTube channel has there's over 50 videos on There, nice and short and sharp. There's stuff on cloud computing. You can learn the difference between DNS and domain names and web hosting. You can learn, you know, what my favorite task management program is, cloud-based of course, and and why you should be using it. That's all out there and free.
0: So how do we find your YouTube channel?
1: Just go to itgenius.com forward slash YouTube and that'll redirect to our YouTube channel. Cool. Okay. And then number two is going to be educate yourself on what are the best practice. Cloud technology tools. So we've got right on our homepage, we've got an ebook. Just head to itgenius.com, you won't miss it. We've got our top 12. Cloud productivity tools that are that are going to help you to boost your productivity. So you know we've got things on there that can help you do signed documents online with online signatures, collaborative task management, ways of better communicating and collaborating with your team. They're all there. And then number three is our Google video learning all about Google apps. So if you head along to itgenius.com, there is a uh, there's a video there. I think it's itgenius.com forward slash Google is the direct link. We've got a video there teaching you all about Google apps and how working with Google apps will help you in your business. Now, beware because your IT consultants and the people who may have advised you in the past are probably gonna be a little bit anti-Google and that's because Google really removes the need for you to employ an IT person to manage your IT infrastructure moving forward. Uh, Google lets you add and remove email addresses for your staff, provision accounts, lock them out, manage your own security controls, manage document controls, share folders with your team, uh, share files with your team all without having to pay somebody 200 bucks an hour to help you work all that stuff out. And so this is a little bit of a kind of well-kept secret, but we're, we're hoping to, to not let it be a secret too much longer. Look, get out there and educate yourself is the most important thing that you can do. And we've got heaps and heaps of free resources
0: available for you to learn. Awesome, well, I'll definitely post those links into the show notes as well. I'll also post a link to the Done For You podcast setup service that I offer to professionals and entrepreneurs. It's a full production podcast setup service that helps them increase inboundly And increase their authority in the marketplace. I get them onto iTunes, new and noteworthy, in a very short space of time, depending on their availability. And the URL is productiveinsights.com forward slash podcast hyphen setup. I recently worked with a lawyer who has just launched a podcast on iTunes, and she's absolutely thrilled with the outcome. So, what books have had the biggest impact on you, Peter, and why?
1: Oh wow, that's a um, that's a great question. I think for me, one of the largest ones was The Emyth by yep. Michael Gerber, one of the, you know one of the classics, and um that really got me in the mindset of building a business in what Michael Gerber calls the franchise model. Building a business that's repeatable and that's scalable and that can provide a consistent service even if you aren't a franchise. And so I think that every business has the opportunity to take whatever service it is that you deliver and productize it and make it more easily consumable for your customers you know what we do uh, we're selling effectively it consulting services but all of our packages are are fixed fee and it's all just one easy pricing model and the scope of what somebody buys is quite rigid but it has every everything that someone would need and that's how we've been able to grow and scale our business Uh, but the benefit for our customers is they know what they're getting they're really certain with that and it means that we've been able to have a greater impact and and help more people. That's probably the the most profound one for me. I think day-to-day, now that the book that I most often rely on would be The Rockefeller Habits by, uh, by Vern Harnish. Yeah, that's just an absolutely brilliant book for you know once you've got past the launch phase of your business and you're yep. into more of the sustained growth phase and you know you've got a you're building out your management team and you're building out the the structure of the organization and the scale plan. That's just a, a really great business, it's a really great book. Sorry, just to learn how to grow and scale a business with well thought out strategy in
0: place. Well, Mike Rhodes, who I interviewed about Google AdWords, recommended the E-Myth as well. And Buck Risby, who I talked about systems, he recommended the Rockefeller Habits. So those two are very, (laughs) very good recommendations. So thank you very much for that. Now, is there anything else you would like to share before we say goodbye? You've already shared about how the listeners can find out about you through your website, and I'll definitely post all those links on the show notes. But is there anything else you would like to share in terms of being able to get in contact with you? I'm,
1: I'm going to share a secret weapon. How about that?
0: Yeah, go for it, man.
1: <laughs> so uh, there's a secret weapon that I learned. This is literally, this is this is life-changing for some people, which is pretty cool. So part of one of the things that we teach in helping a business move over to the Google world and get more productive by using Gmail and using the rest of the Google ecosystem is how to take control of your inbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know that a lot of people will have thousands or even tens of thousands of emails just hanging around in their inbox, yep. uh, you know, not really doing much. And we know that the average business owner receives between 200 and 300 emails per day which Yikes. is a ridiculous amount to manage just a ridiculous amount so obviously gmail takes care of things like spam filtering so you yeah. know spam is is just no longer ever a problem with google but there is one really cool thing that you can do and you can do this in outlook as well it's just not quite as effective but this will help you save 30 to 50 emails per day from arriving in your inbox.
0: You have my attention, man.
1: I have your attention. Excellent. So what I want you to do is, uh, you can do this in Outlook, but it's easier to do in Gmail, is run a search for the word unsubscribe. Okay. And what we're going to do is we're going to set up a filter or a a rule. They're called filters in Gmail. And we're going to use that filter to automatically have every email with the word unsubscribe, skip the inbox, and go into a folder called newsletters. And I love what this. that means is any automated response emails, any marketing emails, any, you know, that guy that you met at, an, at a networking event who added you to LinkedIn and put you on his mailing list, all of those, all of those emails are going to skip your inbox. They're going to go into a side folder called newsletters. And then once a day, just open that folder and have a browse through and just make sure there's nothing important there that's been uh, picked up. But I promise you that will save you 30 to 50 junk emails from hitting your inbox every single day. And, uh, and that's going to keep them off to the site. Now, if you're a marketer and you're listening to this and you're freaking out, oh my God, Peter's teaching people how to avoid my emails. <laughs> well, you can probably go into your email marketing program and change the text for your unsubscribe link. It just so happens that most people are lazy and they leave it literally with the word unsubscribe there. And uh, if uh, any of your customers are students of mine out of the thousands of students that have gone through our training, then uh, then they're probably going to be filtering your emails out. So a uh, little trick there if you're a marketer. <laughs>
0: Dude, that is absolute gold. You've given us you've given us the solution and then you've given us the counter to the solution as well. Go and change. <laughs> go and change. You're unsubscribed to do not receive these emails or something. So yeah, I love it. I know what I'm going to be doing immediately after this interview. <laughs> Thank you so much for that video. That was awesome. Well, man, it's been great. i really enjoyed this conversation. I'd love to have you back on the show. I look forward to seeing you at Superfast Business Live in a couple of days.
1: I look forward to it. As thanks so much for having me on the show. And anyone who wants to get in touch or learn more, head along to itgenius.com. As I said, you know we've got a YouTube channel, uh, itgenius.com forward slash YouTube, that'll redirect you. Heaps of stuff there ebooks, free resources, webinars. Uh, we've got a podcast as well, which is called Business Technology Simplified. And uh, that's talking all about small business technology and how you can use it to be more productive. Uh, Ash, thanks so much for having me on and I look forward to the next time we catch up.
0: Pleasure to have you here, man. Listen, don't forget to send me all those links so that I can put them in the show notes to all those resources you mentioned, the podcast, everything.
1: Absolutely will.
0: All right, cool. Talk soon. So there you go, an excellent discussion on cloud computing with the founder of itgenius.com, Peter Moriarty. I really liked the points he made about educating yourself on cloud computing start asking questions check out the it genius resources on youtube one of the biggest takeaways for me from this was how to take control of your inbox that simple but super effective hack just create a rule in your email to select all incoming emails with the word unsubscribe in them and shunt them off to a folder allocated just for newsletters a great way to dramatically cut down the amount of noise hitting your inbox every day now some related episodes that were either mentioned in the podcast or that might be useful to you are marketing automation in that one episode number eight where I talk about productivity, 15 ideas that really work. Episode number 15 with Mike Rhodes, where he talks about Google AdWords and success secrets with Google AdWords. Episode number 18 with Buck Rizvi, where he talks about how to build an eight-figure business using good quality systems in which he also mentions the Rockefeller habits, episode number 37 which talks about how to eliminate information overload and maximize your productivity, episode number 42 with Chris Ducker where we talk about his secret under of kiss metrics on software as a service. So I hope you found that content useful. Don't forget to head over to ProductiveInsights.com forward slash podcast setup to book a free 20-minute consulting session with me to assess whether your business is well-positioned to benefit from a podcast just like this one you're listening to. That's it from me for this week. Talk to you next week. Over and out.
1: Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?